If you have your Bible, Psalm 51. And we're going to read verses 1 to 9. And I'm going to ask a brother here if he would, wouldn't mind stand up and reading this. Brother uh, Mark Campbell, would you stand up? Brother, you're in the back. You've got a nice, powerful voice. Would you read uh, Psalm 51, verses 1 to 9? And I think your translation is going to match the one that we are going to have above our heads anyway. Amen. Thank you for that reading. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. I have something to say to you. What would generate such a prayer as this? Have mercy on me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness, etc. You should all know uh, who's the author of this psalm and hopefully the background of this psalm. The author is David. And I want to read a little background text to the psalm so that you'll get a sense of where David was coming from. And I'm going to read to you in 2 Samuel 12, verses 7 to 13. Nathan the prophet had come to David and gave him an example of someone who took something from someone. And David was irate about what had taken place and he was so disturbed he wanted that individual to be... uh, dealt with in a very sober way. And then Nathan turns the table on him and says these words to David. You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little... I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in His sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite, to be your wife. 
Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. There's not a period to what Nathan said. Listen to the last words. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Amen. The Lord also has put away your sin. How many of you have committed adultery as a Christian? How many of you have committed murder as a Christian? I don't see any hands going up. I'm glad to say amen that you have not. But let's not put it past ourselves. David is classified, we preached on this the last time I spoke, as a man after God's own heart. How could a man, or a woman for that matter, who is so close to the Lord, in such an intimate relationship with God, fall this far to the state of committing adultery, having her husband murdered, and then trying to cover it all up. And go for approximately a year before Nathan brought this to his attention. And we don't even have a weep of David over what had transpired of the transgressions that he committed. We were doing evangelism yesterday and a couple of the brothers had to go a little early and I said, I'm going to just stay the last five minutes because it was getting near the end of time. And uh, a woman brought another woman outside of the post office and says, this woman wants to meet you. And that woman came down the post office and she said, I really need something in my life. And she put her arms around me and hugged me with emotion and feeling. And she wasn't drunk. She wasn't high. I didn't get that sense from her at all. It seemed real. Her sin seemed maybe to be breaking her. Her desire seemed to be, I need help. And the Bible tells us, to whom shall we go? Where is our help? Our help comes from the Lord. You know, the good news is that you and I have answers to people like that who are broken, who are hurting, and want to know, what can I do? I'm a hurting person. Help me. The Bible says about a believer, out of the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. We're like the fish that the Lord Jesus says, go into the water, throw in your line, and pull up the fish, and the first fish you pull up is going to have what? A coin in its mouth. To what pay for someone else's due? Well, that's us, brothers and sisters. We've got the coin of salvation for the lost. We've got the message that people need to hear. I gladly embraced her and I said, Look it, I know where you're coming from. I've been there, I've done that. God changed my heart, He can do the same for you. The Bible says that a broken heart God will not despise. He draws near to them that are of a broken heart and save as such that are of a contrite spirit. Have you ever felt like you really needed to get into the presence of God 
over sin that you may have committed as a believer. Now this seems to be somewhat of a dilemma because we boast in Jesus our Lord. We boast in the cross of Calvary. We sing, all my sins were laid on Jesus. Jesus bore them on the tree. God who knew them laid them on Him. And believing, I go free. Hallelujah. Our bondage has been released. We have full, permanent forgiveness of all of our sins. The ones that were behind us, the ones that we're committing now, and the ones that we shall commit in the future... The Gospel teaches us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all, all, all sin. Hallelujah to that. The hymn writer also says, My judgment God will not twice demand. Once at my bleeding Savior's hand, and then not again at mine. For by one offering He has perfected forever them that are sanctified. I don't need to have Jesus be re-crucified because He died once for all. I don't need to have to repent again for a conversion experience. I don't have to be born again, again, and again. Born again once is sufficient. Being forgiven once is sufficient. How then can we justify a prayer such as David's and ask God for forgiveness? In the minds of some Christians, and I think this is very far-fetched, and I think this is an extremist position, some believe that because our sins are all forgiven, therefore there is no need to ask God for forgiveness of sins. Because that's almost an insult to God. You are denying what the Scripture says your sins are forgiven. I had to explain this to a lady one time from the dead dead congregation that I eventually came out of, when I went back to one of the Sunday school teachers, she said, how can you say that your sins are all forgiven? Aren't you supposed to be asking forgiveness of sins all the time? And I tried as best as I could to explain the difference between union with God and communion with God. The day the Lord saved me, my union with Him was initiated and it was permanent and it's unbreakable. There's nothing that I could do to break the union that I have with God. But what God did do and what He does do for anyone that becomes a child of His whom He saves and births into His kingdom, He gives them something they didn't possess before and that is power to live a life that's righteous and godly before Him so that we are really without excuse. Nevertheless, as John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John says, little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. Remember when Jesus sent away the adulterous woman? Go and sin no more. That should be our motive after we get converted. We don't want to sin. Sin brought us into bondage. Sin deceived us. Sin didn't satisfy us. When we came to Christ, we came to the fountain of life and our life was filled with goodness, joy and peace that we have with God. My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Yes, there are the buts in the Christian's life that we will sin after conversion. And I think we can all admit that, that a day even doesn't go by that we don't sin to one degree or another. So although David's sin was most heinous, 
it nevertheless provides for us an example of one that was contrite before God and pleaded with God for His mercy to be great upon Him for what He had done. Now, how did David fall into such a sin as adultery? We know the story. He was up. He should have been on the field at the time when kings went out to battle, but he chose to stay back, which might be an indication that he had lost his fervor for the things of God, and he remained home. As a result, he goes out in the balcony, he sees a naked woman, he calls for her, he ends up having relations with her, she becomes pregnant, she calls her husband from who was on the front lines in the war, he calls him home, hoping that he will sleep with his wife because she revealed to David she had been pregnant from David's seed. David wants to eliminate, really, he wants to abort Uriah the Hittite. No consideration of aborting the child. Isn't that interesting? You won't find that in the history of Judaism. Life is valuable in the womb. People mean something. They're a creation. But to abort the, the, uh, the, the husband so that David could, could not have to bear the guilt of being the father of this illicit relationship. That's what he was trying to get out of it. And he was successful in, in the sense that although Uriah chose not to sleep with his wife because it was a holy war, he would not even go into her. He chose to stay outside. Do you remember this in 2 Samuel chapter 11? David is frustrated. Now, his only option is to send them back to the battleground with the instructions that he was carrying, which was really a warrant for his own murder, to give this to the captain who was going to say, this man needs to be put right at the hottest spot of the battle, with obviously the expectation that he would die, and he did die. Bathsheba, the one who David slept with, had the child. The child didn't make it. The child died at nine, ten months, a year old, or somewhere in that infancy stage. God, as it were, judged David by removing the child. But it's when Nathan came to him that his sin was exposed to the uttermost. And this is what broke him down. God's Word through Nathan was like an arrow that pierced his soul. Conviction immediately set in. David's backsliding, if you want to call it that, is something that we need to take heed to ourselves. It's very easy to backslide. It's easy to let things go in our lives and bringing other things as replacement to the things that God would have for us. God rained down manna from heaven for the children of Israel. That should have been satisfactory. But they said, no, we want more. We want flesh. We want this. We want to change that manna into something that's more palatable to us. Sometimes we can think that way. If we're not enjoying the things of God, we're going to find our satisfaction somewhere and in something else. And if you might be drifting... Might this be a caution cry out to you? Beware! You're going down a dead-end alley. You're going down David's pathway. There could be something down the road that could bring you great shame before the Lord. Nathan goes on to say about David's action, By this 
sin you have, by this deed thou hast brought great occasion against the Lord for the enemies to be able to be accusatory to you. You have great occasion of the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You know, the world loves to see Christians fall. When the Jimmy Swaggarts and the Jimmy Bakers and those that were in high-profile places as evangelical Christians claims of having been born again, and I'm not going to question their salvations, maybe, maybe one, maybe not the other, the Lord knows, but nevertheless, those things happen. The world loves to see that. They love to pounce on that. The Bible says in Psalm 11, to the wicked bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string upright and hot. Oh, how we need to be guarded, don't we? We want, don't want to give an occasion for the adversary to speak reproachfully. And how can we avoid that? By keeping ourselves in the love of God. The just shall live by faith. But sometimes that faith can be overridden by the flesh. The flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. And I know that all of us experience that. We're all on that battlefield. But thankfully we have a great high priest who's lifting his hands up for us that we will not fall to the enemy. True repentance is what we see in David's life. Now, here's the thing. David was forgiven. We've got that in 2 Samuel 12. Your sins, it says right there, verse 13. The Lord has put away your sin. Period. That's the great news. But the brokenness that David felt was a sequel. Thank God he was forgiven. What is he looking for now? We read in the text here, wash me thoroughly. Because sometimes guilt does follow sin. Our sins can be dealt with before the Lord in confession, but oftentimes the guilt trails us. It is difficult to get rid of that guilt. I can say by experience too, in my early Christian days, there were things that I did that I know the Lord forgave me for, but I felt still guilt about the actions that I took. And I think David is in a state of guilt in desiring restoration with the Lord. So what is his plea? He begins with the words, in verse number 1, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy love. Kindness. That's what we appeal to. We appeal to the love of God. He is faithful to us when we're unfaithful to Him. What a God that does not turn us back on us. What an amazing God we have. You would have thought that the Lord would have struck down David, replaced him with another king who had a greater heart that was after God's heart. But no, the Lord was faithful to David. David knew something about the goodness of God. That's the joy of being one who has a heart after the Lord's heart. He could appeal to the loving kindness of God. And that was his, uh, you could say, the target of his prayer. Lord, I know that you're a loving, kind God, 
Please, please, mercy upon me. Lord, have mercy upon me. You know, a sensitive conscience leads to a deep conviction that draws a genuine repentance that results in a happy communion. That's what David wanted. He wanted communion with God. Knowing that it would be a chasm apart if he hid his sin from God, or from himself, I guess you could say, not open and honest about it, he would have, had, he would have remained out of communion with him. So when we do get saved, that, com- that union is immediately and forever permanently established. But our communion is what gets broken. And that's what I was trying to explain to that Sunday school teacher of the church that I belong to. The union with God is unbreakable. He's adopted me into His family forever. I've been kidnapped, as it were, from Satan and from the world and brought into the family of God. He snatched me out of that realm and brought me into the household of faith. But now, as a like a child with a parent, and I know all of us as parents have had times when we've been very disappointed with our children. Our children have been maybe nasty to us. They may have been disobedient. They may be totally going in the wrong direction. And we have nothing but heartache over that. In spite of that, that child is still your child. We wouldn't say, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm detaching myself from that child. No. The bond is there biologically. With God, our bond with Him is there spiritually. It's unbreakable. We're one with the Lord, the Scripture tells us. What a wonderful position to be in that God has united me Himself, brought me into His family, brought me into His fold. But I know that I can walk and do things in a way that I could get away from God if I backslid. Someone said it this way, that backsliding... Is, is not like a blowout in a tire, but it's like a slow leak in a tire. You know, I have been negligent sometimes. I know that my tire is getting low and low, and I just keep ignoring it. And before you know it, I wake up in the morning, and sure enough, it's flat. I hoped that it wouldn't be, but there it is. It's flat. Now I'm stuck. Well, that's what it is to be like a backslider. It doesn't happen instantly, gradually. And when we see air, as it were, going out of our tire, and it's starting to deflate, that's the time that we need to stop and say, Sila, i got to consider these things. Where am I going in my walk with God? Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David wasn't ashamed to admit it. The first year or so, or more, it was, he was oblivious to it. And it's amazing how we can block out sin from our consciousness as a believer. We don't want to address it. It's just like when, you know, someone's trying to, going to approach you and sell you something and you really don't even want to hear it because you don't even want to consider that. You don't want to listen to it. Well, God wants to get our ear for what is good for us, but we can t- turn a deaf ear. There was, a, there was a, a brother who was a marriage counselor, and James Dawson ha- had him on his uh, radio show one time, and uh, for an ironic reason, because the counselor had 
in his counseling with a couple, ended up falling in love with the woman who was a part of the marriage couple that he was counseling. Imagine that, a Christian counselor falling into an adulterous relationship with the woman and the husband that he was counseling. James Dobson said to him, rightfully so, how could you let that happen? And he said to to the counselor, he said, didn't any bells go off in your head? He said, what I did was I, I cut the wires. Cut the wires. In other words, I didn't hear anything. I blocked it out. I, 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 had, I was so infatuated with my pursuits that any interest in owning up to God and being confessional and honest and sincere and genuine and wanting, wanting to turn back to God was out of sight and out of mind. Do we cut off the wires? in our Christian life. David had done that. And it's an amazing witness that God has placed there for us. David had a wonderful testimony. There's very few people in the Bible that you can't point the finger at. Jesus is number one. I find no fault in this man. He was a perfect Lamb of God without blemish, without spot. But then we have such followers like a Joseph, like a Daniel, in the Bible where we don't find anything said negatively about their walk. Matter of fact, of Daniel, it was said by one of the pagans that an excellent spirit is in him. Didn't exactly know how to even define what Daniel had. He had the power of God working in him, producing in him a life that is not like the ways of the world but that transcends worldly ways and sends signals to people like, this has got to be extraordinary. This is not the norm. This is of God. A sensitive conscience leads to a deep conviction that draws a genuine repentance that results in a happy communion. The only way David could get in full communion with God was to make this statement that he says in verse 4, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Against thee and thee only. What is sin? Who does it violate? It it is a violation of, of our own conscience and of our own new spirit within us. But more importantly, and ultimately, sin is against God. Against thee and thee only. David is not mincing words here. He's not trying to back out of this thing. He's being fully honest before God. He's naked and exposed before a holy God and saying, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You know, the prodigal son, when he said to his father, give me all the goods that belong to me. Because I want to go out and I want to party hearty. I want to live it up. He takes all of this goods that were his by inheritance and he goes off to the far country and he spends all his money on riotous living. He was hooping it up, you could say. He had no cares in the world. He's got money in his pockets. He's got girls on each hand. He's just having the time of his life until the money runs out. 
till the girls disappear, till all these pleasurable things don't seem so satisfactory. And then it says, and when he came to an end of himself, or another translation, when he came to his senses, he says, I will. I will arise and go to my Father. And I will say to my Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. And yes, the prodigal son comes back to a father who's waiting anxiously for his return, looking with compassion over the field, finds his son returning, and he goes out to meet his son. That's the kind of God David was appealing to, according to thy loving kindness. There is no sin so great that a Christian can commit that God would ever turn his back upon us. Because He sees His Son in us. He's faithful to us. You know, this verse hit me this morning. It's a simple verse, but I said, wow, that's how pertinent. These things were written, talking about the Old Testament, David's and all these other examples, were written for our example. Because you and I might distance ourselves from David and say, I would never do that. David's prayer was sort of like the extreme because he didn't have what I have. Uh -uh. David and you and I, we're all in the same ball of wax, so to speak. Yes, the Spirit's been given, but David, remember, was a king that had a special unction of the Spirit like you and I have. So I think if any character in the Old Testament, David would be the one most like us. and We like him as far as, let me say, spiritual capacity or potential. We might not feel the same way about others that may have been children of God, but certainly not a king who had been given the Spirit like David did. He was an anointed king of God. How far can we drift from God? David here is trying to crawl out of a hole that he dug for himself. And he would have stayed in it if it were not for the goodness of God. If you've been rescued from a sinful life, I'm talking to believers now, you can praise God. If you're starting to see light and you're coming out of that dark tunnel, you know that light is shining on you. Someone said, well, trying to prove this point about losing your salvation or losing your security in Christ. Well, can a believer turn his back on, on God? On, on the light? And the brother said, yes, he can turn his back on the light, but the light will shine his back. So that's the good news. You can't get away from the Lord. The Lord's eye is upon us all the time. He careth for us. But what a sensitive spirit David had. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. We get a little clue, I think, about David's sensitivity. Do you remember when Saul was in pursuit of him to kill him? And he happened to be in a cave and he had fallen asleep and David was able to come right up to him without Saul's knowledge of his presence. He could have killed his, his, his enemy, the one that was pursuing him, who was after him to kill him. This was David's opportunity. What does David do? He takes scissors, and with his scissors, he just clips off a piece of his garment. And you know what it says about that? It says that David's conscience was smitten 
because he had done that to the Lord's anointed. What a sensitive conscience. We see this conscience now activated here in Psalm 51 before God when he's crying out to him for the Lord to have mercy. These words can't be easily skipped, can they? Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgression. What honesty here. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. You desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden Pot, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, that ceremonial cleansing of Judaism. And I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, when you sin against the Lord, especially to this degree, you will feel unclean. You will feel dirty. You will feel unwashed. It's only the Lord and His sanctifying power who remains faithful to us that will keep us in the narrow way and will draw us to Himself away from the things that once charmed us most. And the last point I want to bring to your attention is in verse 8 he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness. David just didn't simply want to get restored in the sense of being forgiven, thoroughly washed, cleansed, and so on. He said, I want to have joy in my heart. I want to have gladness. He says, you have broken my bones so that those bones that were broken can rejoice. God, you're my chiropractor. You broke me down. You humbled me so that I could be straightened out. So that I could be restored to you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a desirable thing to seek after is joy. I think it's so, I think it's so important. It's almost a, an oxymoron to be a Christian and not be joyous. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. That's the very next one after love. As a matter of fact, one translation says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then there's a colon after that, and the first thing that's mentioned is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and then the next one is joy. Joy. And I know we can't always be joyous and happy all the time. There are things that obviously we are expected to be afflicted in mourning, and we let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. There are times, as a sister may be going through right now with her sister, it says that uh, uh, though a man may rejoice in the many days of his life, but yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. Days of darkness. We don't don't think, again, and it's just I think our nature, we we put out of mind, and when I go into a nursing home and I go into a hospital, I think I'm going to be in here probably someday. I I know I'm going to be, unless the Lord just takes me suddenly. But we're all going to die. We're all going to get weak. We're all going to get feeble. We're we're all going to need help. Like when the Lord says to Peter, when you were young, you girded yourself. But when you get older, someone's going to have to dress you. I think there's something more than than just the Lord saying you're you're going to be uh, crucified upside down, which some interpreters have taken it. But it really has struck me that the Lord is saying, you're going to grow old and you're going to get feeble and you're going to have to have somebody dress you. Take 
put clothes on you and, and uh, kind of nurse you, as it were, like we would in a nursing home and a patient there. And I think the Lord is implying to David that you're going to live a, a lengthier life. And I don't know, David may have lived to about 70. Not David, excuse me. Um, Peter, rather. Peter may have lived to about the age of, of, of 70, if we uh, have the history possibly correct. Nevertheless, uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that, as it says, make me to hear joy and gladness. You know, when you're away from God, your ears aren't in tune with the things of God. You can turn on the most, some of these hymns that we sing. Thank you, John Linden and Mike and the Mikes and the girls and Mark Fuller and the songs that they come up with week after week. And I know they're not the authors of them, but the singing is awesome. It should draw our hearts out with praise. It brings joy to our hearts and our spirit that we can sing unto the Lord with such powerful biblical lyrics that make us want to say, Thank you, Lord. What an awesome God you are. Thank you for dying in my stead. I want to sing praises unto your name. David says elsewhere, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. For two years it wasn't in his mouth. David, remember, had brought the ark back uh, to, to, to where it belonged. And it says that David danced before the ark. And even his wife was upset with him thinking that he was putting on a show before the ladies. He says, are you crazy? I'm doing this as unto the Lord. He was rejoicing in the Lord. He's a wonderful example of a man that could write psalms with joy, with praise, but he could also write a psalm when he was in the valley if things didn't go well for him. And he had fallen far and deep into the pit. But now he's looking up. And he said, Lord, don't just wash me thoroughly. Don't just cleanse me. But those bones that have been broken, allow them now to hear joy and gladness. Is that what you want in your life? Do you want joy and gladness? Is the Lord number one in your life? You know, the earth revolves around the sun. And from the sun we get the heat, we get the light, Without it, we can't survive. We'd, we'd be out of orbit. We would be disenfranchised. We would be dead. Well, that's what we may need to make the Lord of our life. The Son of God must be our centrifugal force that keeps us in communion with Himself. Joy and gladness. Let me hear that. We can have a, a problem with hearing. And we lose our communion with God. What, what kind of hearing do we have right now? Are we out of touch with Him? And granted, praise God, that there may not be any murderers here or any adulterers here or adulteresses here. But even if there are, go to Psalm 51. Drop to your knees. Cry out to God. And you know what else you'll do? What David did. This psalm was published before everybody... He wasn't ashamed. Someone said, true repentance before God is humility before men. If you're ever wondering if somebody's restored back to the Lord that has badly fallen, see how much humility they have before men, before people. And I'm not talking the world necessarily. I'm talking about God's people. You know why God's people? 
because as in water, face answers to face, so the heart of man to man. I know what's in your heart. I know what's in my heart. And we know from a passage like Psalm 51 that God can forgive a Christian for sins that are of the highest magnitude. And not only raise them up, but seat them in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so to speak. Sit them on the throne of glory with the Lord so that we can rejoice, as it were, with the angels and with the heavenly host and with the redeemed of the Lord and give the praises that are due unto His holy name. Rejoice in the Lord, I say. And again I say rejoice. You know, uh, I've had a hearing problem for a, a while. My wife says a long time. <laughs> I had to admit it. I do. I did. I still do. But I got some hearing aids on right now. You can't see them because I'm too vain to let you see my hearing aids. I got the smallest. No, I'm only kidding, hopefully. Uh, but anyway, I have, I'm making a confession before you. I have hearing aids on. So I'm watching, I'm listening to everything that's going on, by the way, now. I, I, I catch all the words that are being said behind my back. They even let me hear things behind me. Well, anyway, you know, and even when I've got my hearing on, he says, now you're going to hear birds for the first time. I was at a conference this past week in Tennessee, and I had as a roommate, Brother Tony Cox, a good brother, uh, a great apologist. I love him to death. He's been here. You probably know him, some of you. And uh, when I didn't have a place to stay, uh, I know the hotel room had two double beds, I, I, I texted him. I says, Tony, would you mind if I stayed in the room with you? There's two double beds in your, yours so we, you know, the, so we don't have to pay for another room. He says, yeah, sure, no problem, brother. Come, but the only thing is I play something at night that helps me to sleep. So uh, the first thing he did when, when he arrived, he played this. Uh, you probably know what I'm talking about. I don't know what it's called, but you have different settings on it. You can play this or that. And he, he likes to play, play the one that has crickets going off. <laughs> so he pushed... I didn't have my hearing aids on. So he pushed the crickets. I said, well, can you turn the volume up? He says, it's up as high as it goes. I said, I can't hear a thing. I says, are you sure it's working? He says, you don't hear that? I said... Are you kidding me? I don't hear a thing. I had, to, I had to get like within six inches of this boon box and then I could hear the crickets cricking, cricking, cricking. I go, wow! And I pulled away and said, I can't... So anyway, I slept the whole night not hearing crickets and he did. Well, that's how it is as a believer. When we get away from God, we can't hear the noise that God is making for us. He's beating drums. He's using people. He's showing us things. But we've turned a deaf ear to it. Same thing with glasses. You, many of us wear glasses. What a difference it makes. You can see things now far away or near that you couldn't before. Well, with the goodness of God, His mercy, He can bring us into such a communion with Him, we can say, Lord, I can see clearly now. I can hear You, Lord. Now I can rejoice. The heaviness of my heart has been removed. You've given me a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The oil of gladness I have now from You, Lord. And now I can praise You. That's the number one thing I think for God's people. We make so much out of prayer requests that we ignore praise to God in our prayer life. 
That should be the superior thing in our prayer language to God. I want to bring praises into your house, O Lord. I want to thank you. What do we have to thank Him for? Number one, most importantly, the love of God. So great, so free, that we have experienced that. Could we with ink the ocean fill, or were the skies of parchment made? Or every scribe, or, or, or every blade of grass for scribe by trade? To tell abroad the love of God would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That's the kind of love that we have from the Lord that we can experience if we get this tune-up, as it were, if we get back to God. And granted, praise the Lord, maybe we have not fallen into the deepest, darkest hole that David did, but maybe we are sinking. Sinking. And if you're sinking, you might be a week from now or a month from now sinking lower. You may be going down further and further and further, and before you know it, you don't have those hearing aids. You don't have those glasses. You can't hear. You can't see. God is not in your radar screen. He's not in your arena. He's out of sight and out of mind. And you're going along walking through, through the motions and through the actions. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And renew a right spirit within me. That's the ultimate goal that David is hoping to get to. Not just to come halfway out of the pit, but to come up out of the pit and to be raised up even higher so that he can give praise to God's most glorious name. Restoration from sin and guilt. If there's anyone here that has that heaviness on their heart, and if God is using a message like this to awaken you, be honest. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We, we sometimes, because of Catholicism, we play down auricular confession. We don't want to verbalize. We want to keep everything to ourselves. That's unhealthy as a Christian. That's not right. And I know you don't want to dump your dirty laundry on somebody, but if you have a close brother or close sister... Say, brother, I need to talk to you. I need your help. Sister, I need your help. I want to tell you something that's going on in my life and I need your assistance and I need your prayer for my final and full healing from this, whatever it is that's irking me, whatever is my thorn in the side. Help me that God may forgive me like David was forgiven and be thoroughly purged and have this guilt removed from me so that I can serve the Lord with joy and with gladness. Let us be honest with God. Let us be honest with ourselves. Brothers and sisters, if we are... I think we can all use a lift from a psalm like 51. I think we all have some degree of confession to make before God for things in our life that are not quite right. When Jesus told us to pray as our brother Justin was reading, we pray, Father, forgive us for what our death, our sins, our trespasses. We say that all the time because we violate the truth of God, the, the desires of God because of our waywardness. It's built into us. We, even though we have a new nature, we still have a part of us. And this is where we've got to get away from the churchiness 
and trying to have a phony profile as a church person or a Christian born again and thinking that, well, Christians don't do those things. They shouldn't say those things. I, I would never want to admit what I've done or what I said. Hold on. Psalm 51. Let's be honest that our sins are exposed before the eye of God and that we can get back to Him in a way so that we can rejoice before Him. And when the Lord comes, because you know the Bible does want us, 1 Timothy 5, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. Other sins follow after. The main point I think of that verse is let's expose ourselves before God and maybe before one another in some circumstances so that we can settle the matter here rather than at the judgment seat of Christ, which will not be for punishment. Don't misunderstand me there. And that, that needs a whole other sermon to kind of unpack that. But, praise the Lord, we have a God that is a loving, kind God that the Lord can break us to such a point that we can come to terms and say, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And that ultimately we can ask the Lord, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Make me to hear joy and gladness. And it's all because of the loving kindness of our God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for You. Thank You, O God, that You are the God that You are. You're unchanging. And that, Lord, the God of David is our God and our Father who art in heaven. Thank You, Lord, for Your willingness to not turn Your back on us, to have an ear and an eye upon us in spite, Lord, of our waywardness. Lord, we want to taste Your goodness. We want to be joyous. We want to be able to lift Your name up in praise and in adoration. So, Lord, if anyone in this room is having a difficult time in their Christian walk, Lord, we pray that they would come to You, that they would cry out to You, that, Lord, You would hear their innermost parts and their desires, Lord, to want to have joy restored. Oh, Lord, because as Your Word says, at Thy right hand are joys forevermore. Oh, God, the greatest joy is to have a close walk with You. May that be so with us, Lord. Draw us, we pray, that we may run after Thee. And if anyone here, Lord, doesn't know You, O God, we pray that the Spirit of God would move in their heart and give them a conviction of their sins and make them realize they need to be washed in the precious blood of the Lamb of God to come into a true relationship with You. We ask these things, O Father, in the precious and worthy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.